Hello everybody, good morning, wherever you are this morning. We hope you're well and safe. My name is Drew, I'm the lead pastor here at Praxis Church and we're just so thrilled that you're joining us this morning for what really has become the new normal for us and the new normal pretty well for everybody as we gather together online on Sundays during our time of isolation. And so we're just so thrilled wherever you're at, no matter if you're in your PJs or not, that you're joining us this morning together as we get together. Now, I also wanted to send a quick uh, hello to everybody that listens to our podcast week to week. We're so thankful for you guys and you're listening to this too. So we're just so thankful for you. And thanks for tuning in each week to our, our weekly teachings. I think we're gonna have a great uh, moment in time together this morning. Uh, you know, as we think about the church as a community of people that's together, that's this community together, now that we're in homes and kind of isolated, we still want to make sure that this is not just a dude looking into a camp, dude or girl, just looking into a camera and talking. Really what we want these on- online liturgies to be is a time where us as a community, we're all participating together. And so once again, this morning is going to incorporate a ton of different things, including music and a- animated Bible story in a couple minutes for the kids. We have teaching as well as we have different people in our community that are going to come along and help with some of the readings and the psalms and the the text reading this morning. So we're absolutely thrilled uh, that we could be together this morning. So just to let you know, in a couple minutes, Kalina is going to come, our friend Kalina Vandekloot, and she's going to lead us through Psalm 130. My hope is is that you could just read it aloud with her as we read together. Then we're really excited that our friends from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, we have good friends, uh, Jonathan and Angie Stockstill, we love them so much at Bethany Church. They have a great music team that's going to lead some of the music this morning for us for Church at Home. And they've just done a great job kind of capturing this. And we've said the last number, a couple of weeks that, listen, we know it's a little awkward to be worshiping in your home, but we hope you can listen to these songs and sing along if you feel comfortable and just create a space for yourself with reflection. Then after the worship, we're going to have an animated Bible story. And so we're doing this near the top so that if you, right now you want to grab your kids and join you, we're going to have music and the Bible story all together because we know that's the most engaging thing for the kiddos. So if you want to grab them after the animated Bible story, which is our text for this morning. You can let them go if you want, but it's really, I think the next couple minutes, there'll be things for them to engage in as well. Then we're going to hear a great story. Every week we want to be hearing stories of God's transformation in people's lives in our community. So our friend Marg Pickup is going to come and she's going to share her story of coming to faith in Jesus and God's work in her life. Then our friends Ryan and Victoria are going to come and read today's text, which is John 11. So if you have a Bible, it's the fifth week of Lent and you want to grab a Bible and read along. Ryan and Victoria are going to lead us and they do a great job. And then we're gonna get into the teaching. And I'm really excited about this morning's teaching because one, it's not me. Come on, somebody, that's, that's a good thing. Uh, we have a guest who's gonna be teaching us on this text, this Lenten text in John 11. His name is Don- Dominic Doan from Portland, Oregon. Dominic leads a great church called Westside Church in Portland. I actually, he probably doesn't even remember this, but I got to sit down with Dominic a few years ago and have lunch with him. And he's just such a humble dude and has done such a great job with this particular text, John chapter 11. And so he's going to teach us and lead us. And then after Dominic does this teaching, we'll have some time of reflection and uh, we'll be on our way this morning. But I'm just so thrilled that you're with us. I just believe that if we open ourselves up this morning to what God wants to do, I believe he wants to do something beautiful within us. So with that said, let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. 
Father, I just thank you for this community. And these are interesting days and interesting times. But God, I just pray that you'd come right now across our community and across all the people that will be watching this today and beyond. And you would just have your way. Move in these songs and these lyrics and the Psalms and the reading of scripture and hearing your word. God, I just pray that you move among us this morning. Thank you that in the midst of all that's going on, we at least have this kind of ability in our day to connect with each other. So we just pray that your rule and your reign would come over us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, Praxis Church. I'm going to be reading Psalm 130 from the New Living Translation. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. Good morning, everyone. This morning, we are reading from John chapter 11, verses 1 to 44. All right. The death of Lazarus. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. 
and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. This amazing story uh, begins when Jesus was in Bethany uh, with some of his closest friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And as you read the Gospels, you find out that they, they spent a lot of time together. Uh, Mary and Martha, they actually helped financially support Jesus' ministry. Uh, they all followed after Jesus for three years. Um, they ate together. Mary was the one who worshiped him and sat at his feet. Martha had this insane gift of hospitality. And then in verse 11, it says that Lazarus was Jesus' Friend. And the word friend there, it's phylos in the Greek. It speaks of affection. These, these were people in Jesus' life that he cared deeply for. And not only that, he loved to eat with them too. Um, Linda Grayson, she's an author, she said, nothing is better than a friend unless it is a friend with chocolate, right? So there's something about this combo of friendship meets food. And, and Jesus loved to spend time with them and hang out with them. And I share that because, you know, friendship is the glue that holds faith, hope, and love together. And even though Jesus was insanely busy, he took time to invest in people and allow people to be in his life. And for me, at least, it gives this story kind of an emotional edge to it. I think it's one of the reasons why this story has impacted so many people throughout history, because this isn't just the death of a guy who is a stranger. This was a death of someone who Jesus loved and cared for. And we're going to see throughout this story, uh, Jesus, he has this emotion and this passion for this family that was going through the loss of someone close to them. Um, most of us, if not all, have lost someone who, who's been close to us. And it's a painful thing. Um, Anne Lamott, 
She said that when you lose someone close to you, um, it's like breaking a leg uh, that never heals fully. And you learn the rest of your life, you're trying to figure out how to dance with a limp. And Jesus, he experienced all of that in this story, and he's experiencing those kinds of emotions. But it does raise a question for me, and maybe it's one that uh, you struggle with too, just reading through it, where it says that Jesus loved them and cared for them, and yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, rather than dropping everything to go be with him, he actually waited where he was for two days. And this is surprising because the word sick that is used here isn't like, oh, he had a cold or a canker sore or something. Like This is urgent. In the Greek language, it means it's an emergency. And if a, if a friend or family member of yours is going through an emergency, like you drop everything just to be with them or sit in the, in the hospital and you wait it out. And yet Jesus waited out a couple miles from where Lazarus was before he eventually went. Why is that? Why wouldn't Jesus immediately go and be with Lazarus? Well, the short answer, if you want to look down, is in verse 4. It says, this is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. We're going to see today that even through the tragedy and the heartache and the pain and the anguish of death, that God was about to show up in a supernatural, beautiful, healing, and redemptive way. Let's see how. Verse 17, on his arrival... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. We'll come back to that in a minute. And Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, here's the promise your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, here it is, I am the resurrection and the life. Let me hear you say, I am the resurrection and the life. <laughs> the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can tell the sisters have been talking because they say the exact same thing. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And here it is, the shortest verse in the Bible, John 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? John says that when Jesus finally showed up, Lazarus had been dead for four whole days, which actually in the ancient world, this was a significant number. Uh, this is the age before modern medicine, and they didn't fully understand the scientific process of the whole death process. And in their minds, 
The number four actually represented finality. How so? Well, there are actual historical cases where someone died back then, but it was just a coma. And then the third day or second day or whatever, they wake up. And so what people would do oftentimes is they'd hang out in the house where the dead person was, and they're wondering the whole time, well, maybe they're just asleep, maybe it's a coma, maybe in the words of Princess Bride, they're mostly dead. Um, And so they would actually call out their name every now and then to see if they would wake up. But on the fourth day, they believe that was the day there's no more hope, this person actually is dead, and they would hold their ceremonies. And no one was more devastated than Lazarus' death than his closest family and friends, Mary and Martha especially. Verse 21, you can just like hear the pain in her voice. She said, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. So her heart is broken, she's confused, She's like, Lord, why did you take so long? You could have healed him. You could have showed up. You could have done a miracle. But for whatever reason, you, you didn't. Have you ever gone through a season in your life where you feel like Martha? God, where were you? God, why didn't you answer my prayer? Why didn't you show up? I prayed for a miracle, but no miracle came. I thought that this promise was from you, but I've yet to see the promise be fulfilled. Have you ever gone through a season where you wonder, in the words of Psalms, how long, O Lord? And what I love about this story is that Jesus gave her space to ask these questions, right? He he didn't rebuke her. He didn't shame her for her less than perfect faith. He, He doesn't like throw Christianese at her. Hey, Martha, just believe. That's all you need to do. Instead, he gave her space. Okay, there's room here to lament, There's room for doubt. There's room for confusion even. There's room to ask questions. And then he follows it up with this beautiful promise. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Notice that Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'll show you where the resurrection and life is, or I have access to resurrection and life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is deeply personal, intimate language that Jesus uses. I am. That should ring a bell. It's Exodus chapter 3. Remember Moses? And he's standing before the burning bush. And he's like, who should I say sent me? And God said, I am that what? I am has sent you. For thousands of years, that phrase, I am, ego ami in the Greek language, uh, was a term used to describe God. It was a name for God. So in a single, single line, Jesus is doing three things. Number one, he's giving Martha room to lament. He's giving her space to grieve and to ask the hard questions. Secondly, he's giving her hope. And thirdly, he's making this profound, kind of scandalous claim, especially for the first century, that he is God. I am the resurrection and the life. But there's also something else I want you to see here. It's not just Jesus saying that he's God. What I love about this story is that Jesus is showing his humanity as well. In verse 33, it says, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit, and he was troubled Verse 35, Jesus wept. And then I love verse 36. People look at Jesus and they're like, see how he loved them. This story doesn't just show us that Jesus is God and has power to raise the dead. It shows us that Jesus also was human 
And just like us, he felt the horror of pain and tragedy and death. You know, Paul, he said in Romans chapter eight, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Do you ever just wake up in the morning and like the first thing you do is groan, right? Or do you ever just look at the world and what's happening politically or injustice or racism or wars or disease? And it's like you don't even have the words to describe how much it troubles you. And it's like the closest thing you can do is just groan. Like you look at our world or you look at our city, just like, oh, what is that? It's the spirit of Jesus that's in us, Paul says. In other words, he is lamenting and hurting with us, which by the way, side note, I think one of the best way to comfort someone who is hurting is just to be there with them, weeping with them. Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb, even though he knew how the story was going to end. And sometimes when we walk with friends and family members or people in our own church who are going through difficult times, often what they need from us is not more Christianese or quoting more verses. Often what they need from us is just our presence, that we're by their side. Weep with those who weep, Paul said in Romans 12, and rejoice with those who rejoice. As God... Jesus reminds Mary of his power. I'm the resurrection, the life. As man, he stands at the tomb and weeps. And it's beautiful and compelling to me that we see both of these together in one story. Tim Keller, he said, it is this paradox that he is both God and human that gives Jesus an overwhelming beauty. He's the lion and the lamb. Despite his high claims, he's never pompous. You never see him standing on his own dignity. Despite being absolutely approachable to the weakest and broken, he is completely fearless before the corrupt and powerful. He has tenderness without weakness, strength without harshness, humility without the slightest lack of confidence, unhesitating authority with a complete lack of self-absorption, holiness and unending convictions without the lack of approachability, power without insensitivity. He is full of surprises, but they are all the surprises of perfection. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Um, I became a Christian at the age of 10, and my family started taking us to a church in Southern California, and they used the King James Version at that time. Um, I don't know if any of you use that anymore, you know, the the version like with the these and thous. Um, And I, I remember loving how the King James Version put uh, verse 39. Uh, it says that Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, but by, by this time he stinketh. I, I, that's so epic. That's almost worth switching back to King James. He stinketh. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone 
And Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always heard me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Just, Just imagine the scene. So there's all these people and they're standing there, they're whispering, they're weeping, they're remembering their friend Lazarus. It's kind of like a memorial service. And it's like this uber dramatic moment. Jesus breaks through the crowd and he stands before the tomb, which is basically just a cave. And he, with a loud voice, he's like, hey, Lazarus, come out. And you got to imagine like what they're thinking at this moment, that awkward silence after Jesus said that. And then they begin to hear maybe some rustling, some movement. Maybe they hear a guy in the cave groaning. Like, what is going on? The shuffling of footsteps. And finally, they see Lazarus steps out into the light, and he's kind of squinting because it's so bright, and he's covered with all these grave cloths. Sounds just like our 8 a.m. gathering. You should have seen him this morning, right? We need coffee. And so Lazarus comes out, and Jesus is like, okay, take off those grave cloths and let him go. Man, this would have been amazing to see. And from this moment on, those who loved Jesus were more committed than ever to following him. Because after all, it's like, what more evidence do you need that he's God? He just raised someone from the dead. We saw it. We're all in. Those who hated Jesus were more than ever committed to killing him. We're going to see, by the way, kind of meta, meta conversation. We're going to see from this moment on, there is a shift where Jesus' enemies begin to plot and plan ways to crucify him. And just the way that John is laid out, John 1 through 11 is all about Jesus' first 33 years of life and ministry. John chapter 12, all the way through the end, focuses in on the last week of Jesus' ministry. And some of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible and some of the most beautiful words that Jesus ever said are in John chapter 12 through 21. It's going to be so fun going through that with you. But before, before we go any further and before we open the tables, um, here's the thought I want to share with you guys, because there's so many different directions we can take this. But what's been on my heart, especially this last week, is that John 11 is this vivid reminder that death doesn't have the last word. And this is good news because the stats on death are pretty compelling. (laughs) And death affects us all, right? Epicurus, who was a, a philosopher, he said, it is possible to provide security against other ills, but as far as death is concerned, we live in a city without walls. In other words, we can defend ourselves against different things and drink all our kale smoothies or whatever, but inevitably death is coming, and there's not much we can do about that. Um, A few years ago, I came across this website called deathclock.com. Have you guys heard of deathclock.com? A couple of you have. Okay, so you go to this website, and basically the premise is, based on statistical data, they're going to calculate for you the exact day of your death. So if you want to be encouraged this afternoon, go to deathclock.com. So I go and ask you a bunch of personal questions, um, the day of birth, your BMI, 
whether or not you smoke, whatever, all these questions. So I'm filling out all the questions. And then he hit the enter button. And I did that. And this, it's so cryptic, a skull popped up. And on the skull, it says, this is your day of death. And it gives you the exact day. And then the real cryptic part is that it gives you how many seconds you have left to live, counting backwards. So you're just watching your life slip away as you're in front of deathclock.com. And it turns out that I'm going to die December 25th, 2049, on Christmas, for crying out loud. So I, so I can see it now. I'm sitting there, an old man with my family, maybe some grandkids. My wife, Elisa, she gives me a walker for Christmas. Like In my excitement, I choke on my eggnog, and that's it. Like, that's, that's what I have to look forward to. <laughs> Deathclock.com. This is, this is why Paul would remind us that life is short over and over. It's why David in the book of Psalms, he would say, Lord, teach us to number our days. Because we so often think in terms of years. Okay, here's my five-year plan, my 10-year plan, or I've got another three decades, or whatever the case may be. But the Bible says, no, if you want to be wise, think in terms of, Lord, teach us to number our days, because each day is a gift from God. Are you using it for him and for his glory? Life is short. And we live in a culture, I think, where our response to death kind of falls into two categories. I think by far the, the primary way that we deal with death in America in 2019 is denial, right? We see it especially in our materialistic, distracted culture that when it comes to death, we're like the emperor without any clothes. You know, we don't talk about it. We don't really acknowledge it. We pretend it's not there. And we divert our attention with busyness, consumerism, addictions, Netflix, whatever, fill in the blank. Now, Ernest Becker, he, he wrote a book actually by this name, The Denial of Death. It became a Pulitzer Prize winning book. And in that book, he says, the real tragedy of our distracted age in which we find ourselves is that the anxiety of death hinders us, here's the paradox, from being fully alive. Why? Because the closer we get to death, or the closer we get to life, we begin to feel and experience the gravity of death. So our response then is we shrink back, we protect ourselves, we pull away. We don't like to deal with the difficult questions or difficult situations. And thus, he argues, we go through life half alive, like zombies, basically, because we're not willing to come to terms with our own mortality. There's this paradox, almost a cruel paradox of the human condition, where we have to deal with the reality of death, but we can only deal with the reality of death when we fully step into the reality and beauty of life. The two somehow go together. So what do we do? We deny death, or we see this in a city like ours. We downplay death. Think of uh, atheistic worldviews or naturalistic worldviews. And, and essentially what it argues when it comes to death is that, hey, death is just normal. It's natural. It's part of the whole evolutionary process. Therefore, life is kind of meaningless, right? Your origin from the goo to the zoo to you. And therefore, death is meaningless too. One philosopher I read recently, he said, you know what? We're just matter in motion. We're, we're nothing more than just particles. Death, he said, then, is nothing but unconsciousness, and thus we don't have anything to fear. Now, at a surface level, that kind of sounds courageous, right? But the problem with downplaying death or denying death 
is that neither response honestly engages with the horror or the gravity of death. It's like putting lipstick on a skeleton, and it leaves us with all kinds of unanswered questions about belonging and meaning and purpose. Do we have a place in this universe? Or according to another philosopher, are we, quote, just cosmic orphans without any direction at all? And this is where I find the Christian story so compelling and so beautiful personally. It's why I love John chapter 11, because the Bible steps into this conversation in a culture, in a context where we're confused or afraid to engage with the reality of death. And the Bible doesn't deny death, nor does it downplay death. In fact, just the opposite. The Bible teaches that death is a perversion of how things were meant to be. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26, if you're taking notes, Paul calls death, quote, the great enemy or the last enemy. Death is destructive. It distorts. It's horrific. It's abnormal. That's why Jesus wept at the tomb. Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He, He already told us he would, but he still wept. It's why verse 38 says that Jesus was deeply moved. And I actually think this is kind of an unfortunate translation, deeply moved, because in the original Greek language, they used that phrase thousands of years ago, deeply moved, to describe an animal that was roaring in pain. Jesus didn't deny death. He wasn't like the Stoic philosophers. You know what? That's how the world works, matter in motion, get over it. Nor did he try and minimize death with cat posters, right? Cheesy lines, God gained another angel. No, Jesus was livid. He was upset. He was angry. He wept. Jesus fought against the injustice of death. I think of the words of the poet Dylan Thomas who said, in you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears. I pray, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And it's not just rage that we see in this story, because burning brighter than the rage, Jesus promises a piercing, unshakable hope as he says to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection, and the life. Paul, again, echoed these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? We've all felt the sting of death, every one of us, because death is an intruder. Death disrupts the beauty of life. Death is not how God wanted the world to work. But here's the good news, and this is why the gospel is so compelling, is that yes, death is an enemy, but because of Jesus, death is a defeated enemy. When Jesus died on the cross, he looked death into the eye. Jesus suffered. Jesus was mocked. They pressed a crown of thorns into his skull. They whipped his back. They made fun of him. Jesus died. The one who wept at Lazarus' tomb was put 
into a tomb. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus didn't stay in that tomb for long because three days later, he broke the power of sin and death and he rose again from the dead. The worst that the enemy could throw at him, death, Jesus overcame it and redeemed it with radical love. And what does this mean? Simply this. It means that as followers of Jesus, and if you're a follower of Jesus today, you have this hope. We have hope that to be absent from the body is to be what? Anyone know? Present with the Lord. We have hope that someday every tear will be wiped away. We have hope that death doesn't have the last word. We have hope that the one we follow is the resurrection and the life. And yes, death is real, and it's painful, and it's horrific, but it is not how the story ends. Death is like a dark tunnel leading into a ballroom. And brothers and sisters, heaven is real. Redemption is real. Healing is real. This is why, circling back to verse 4, Jesus says, what's about to happen here is going to be used for God's glory. Because brothers and sisters, a day is coming when death will be swallowed up in victory. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more disease. No more injustice. No more cancer. No more tragic accidents. No more brokenness in our world. No more group texts. Like, those things are gone, right? All things the Bible says. See how the story ends. Go to Revelation 21. All things someday will be made new. Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus, and with a loud voice, he said, Lazarus, come out. I think Jesus specifically said, Lazarus, come out, because if Jesus had just said, come out, everyone would have come out of their grave. So he's like, I've got to be really specific here, right? Because Jesus' word has power. He created all things. Let there be, let there be, let there be. He is the God who created and designed this world. Initially, it was perfect. It was the way things were meant to be. But then death entered the story, and Jesus came to overcome death and raise again from the dead to give us a new way to live. Lazarus, come out. And it wasn't just for Lazarus, because what did Jesus say in the chapter before this? He said, my, I call my sheep by what? By name, Lazarus, come out. Do you know that's your story too? Every one of us who's a follower of Jesus today, there was a time in your life when you were like Lazarus in the tomb. Maybe it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe last month, but there was a time in your life, man, you were, you were dead spiritually. You were hurting and lonely and confused and caught up in stuff that was wrecking your soul, and, and you're filled with guilt. But then something happened to you. you. You heard the voice of the Good Shepherd calling you by name. And something happened, something stirred in your soul. Who is this Jesus? Who is this one who's calling me? And you were once dead, but then he brought life, and you stepped out of the tomb, kind of blinking. What is this about? It's called new life. You are a new creation in Jesus. The old things have passed away, and all things are made new. This is your story. This is the gospel. He called you by name. We came out of that grave. But here's the question I want to leave with you, and then we're done. He called you by name. You came out of the grave. 
you have been set free. So why in freedom would we ever want to go back into the grave? I met, I met with a guy just recently, and it broke my heart because he, he got rescued from a pretty crazy background and caught up in all this stuff that was wrecking his soul. And he gave his life to Jesus years ago and then just recently met with him. And he's like, I've kind of gone back to the old ways. And hearing that, all I could do is it just tears came to my, I didn't even know what to say. It was like, why? Can you imagine how weird the story would be if Jesus said, hey, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out and take off the grave clothes. And they take off the grave clothes. And he's like, you know what? I kind of like it in there. And he heads back in. Like, that would be a real bummer of a story, right? You have been set free. Why, why go back to the old ways? Jesus has given you new life new possibility, new opportunity. He's leading you. He's calling you. And he's saying, come and follow after me. I've got things for you. Each day is an adventure with me. My spirit is moving in your life. And I'm leading you and guiding you to green pastures and still waters. And I'm restoring your soul. And you've taken off the grave clothes. You're set free in new creation. Sons and daughters of God. Now, now live into that. Paul, he said, for we know that our old self, Romans chapter six, was crucified with him. So that the body <coughs> ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Next slide. In the same way, and this is a word for some of us here, actually every one of us here, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you should obey its evil desires. In other words, don't go back into the tomb. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him. Not just your Sundays, every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Let me hear you say amen. That's the gospel right there. Sin shall no longer be your master. You've heard the voice of the shepherd. Come and follow me. You came out of the tomb. Now let's live into that. And let's spread this message of hope, of Jesus, of gospel into a world that is confused about life and meaning and purpose because Jesus is the answer. Let's well, friends, that was, uh, I think, a pretty amazing look at this particular text and such a beautiful teaching that leads us in another story of how Jesus is interacting with people before he goes to the cross. And this season is really, it's Lent. It's all about preparing ourselves for Easter, which is only two weeks away. And I just want to remind us, do not miss what Jesus is doing here. He's using all sorts of symbols and images in that day 
to show a bigger and greater purpose for humans in God's good world. Remember, we have looked at a number of stories that John has been telling in his gospel, and there's like an under meaning to it all. So uh, this picture that we get in John early on of Jesus turning water into wine, and we know that Jesus brings life to the party, obviously, but even deeper, this story reminds us that Jesus is the new wine. He's offering us life in him. Then it moves to a woman at a well. Remember, obviously there's physical water involved at a well, but it's way deeper than that. Jesus is offering living water. There's something under it, this life eternal that he's offering. Then he meets this guy, this really, um, this Pharisee, this really smart religious Jewish guy um, named Nicodemus. And Jesus offers him new birth, a new beginning, not just like being born again physically, but the picture that we get is that Jesus is offering a new beginning in him, life eternal. And the images and the pictures continue to go on where last week we saw that Jesus heals a blind guy. And that's amazing. You know, a guy that was born blind from the very beginning now begins to see physically. But we also see that what Jesus is doing is under it. He's offering spiritual sight. It's not just about a blind guy seeing. It's about what Jesus is offering the world. And then now today, we get to a guy who is in the tomb, who was dead and was brought to life as a picture for us that it's not just about life as we see it, but it is about everlasting life. It is about life that does not end. And ultimately, what happened to Lazarus is a picture or an image or a metaphor of what happens to you and you and I if we're in Christ. The life that Jesus is offering us is resurrection. Certainly, one out of one, ten out of ten of us will die physically, but Jesus is getting at it under it all, this life that he's giving us and offering us as people. Beautiful. Well, what a beautiful morning we've had together. I just coming together, coming around the scriptures. We're so thankful again that you guys have joined us this morning. And we're excited about the coming days. Even though we're kind of pushed to this environment, we are excited about the coming days together. There's a couple announcements we want to bring you up to speed on. The big one is this. In two weeks from today, it's Easter. And obviously, we're not going to be together in physical form on Easter. It kind of hurts our heart a little. We had so many things planned for Easter, including baptisms and refreshments. And I wish you could have seen some of the pictures of just what we were going to create for Easter Sunday morning as an environment for you to invite friends and family and for you to come along. Obviously, we can't do that. But what we are gonna do is we are gonna have an online liturgy that I believe is gonna be fantastic. Our theme this Easter is simply God is love. And so we wanna encourage you, if you want, to invite people along. We'll have different places and spaces that you can, and different things that you can send out to invite friends and family to watch our Easter liturgy together. Again, with the theme, God is love. And one of the things we're hoping, if you're part of the Praxis community, is we're looking for a number of people to shoot a 30-second to minute video just sharing how God has shown his love to you. And so if you could join in with that, that shoot a quick 30-second to minute video, send it to us at hello at mypraxis.church, or there's other means that will let you you know how you can send it to us. We'd love to have your involvement. We'd love to just show these stories of how God's love has transformed people's lives. The other thing we're doing for Easter though is because we're not going to be together, as you watch with your family, we're asking you to dress up. I know, crazy. We've been, some of us have been in RPJs for like weeks. 
we're encouraging you to dress up, wear pastels, wear your best, maybe some bow ties for the guys. I know um, our, our daughter was so bummed when she heard that we weren't gonna be together for Easter because she had her dress ready even weeks ahead of time. So we wanna encourage everybody to dress up, wear your pastels, and then take some photos of you watching our online liturgy together and just use the hashtag, whether it's on Facebook or on Instagram or wherever, just use the hashtag Praxis Easter 2020. We'd love to see some photos of you in your Easter best watching our liturgy together as kind of a way to create community and join in together. We're super excited about Easter, even though we've kind of, been, again, pushed to this kind of environment. We hope that you can join us 10.30 on Facebook, on YouTube, and all the different outlets that we have together. The other reminder is just this, is this is the last Sunday of the first quarter of 2018. And we know that there's all sorts of things happening, um, obviously around the world, there's people being obviously laid off from their jobs and we're in an interesting economic moment right now. But we just wanted to remind you, and we haven't talked about money at all through this whole thing, just wanted to remind you that this is the last Sunday of the first quarter and we are actually hoping to really end the year strong. So just wanna remind you that you can give online, just go to our website, there's a donate portion there that you can jump on to help us with that. We love you guys so much. With all that said, Let's uh, end our time together as we always do by saying this prayer together and it's going to be on the screen so why don't you say it with me. Let's say it together. Ever living God whose will it is that all should come to you through your son Jesus Christ inspire our witness to him that all may know the power of his forgiveness and the hope of his resurrection who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit one God now and forever. Amen. Amazing. Have an amazing week, guys. We can't wait to see you guys next week. We'll see you soon. Grace and peace.